Welcome to Kicking It Local. I am your host, Johnny Keko, and this podcast is all about the football community right here in South Australia. And today is my part two chat with Simon Catanzaro, and we get to dive into his coaching career. We saw him coaching at Adelaide United, both in the W League and also their youth teams as well. We saw him travel to Barcelona, where he fell in love and brought some great memories in his coaching career and also some dark moments for himself and his family during the pandemic. We're going to be diving all through that in today's episode. But if you haven't caught up with part one just yet, make sure to go back and listen to that now. Or if you have, here's a quick refresher. Well, it's funny because I'd actually, um, I can say this now, but I was actually heading to Millwall. Back in oh, the, wow. Yeah, I was heading to Millwall as a 17, 18-year-old with, uh, with, a, with a colleague of mine in the New South Wales Institute of Sport, Liam Austin. Um, I'd saved all this money and was about to head overseas, and then Graham Arnold and Ian Crook were at a game and, and went out, invited me out the first year when they were already in the season and, and, and exploded into the National League when they did come. Uh, and uh, I went out and trained with them a few times, and I, I'll never forget, after one session, I just went out to train and see what it was like, just, just to be respectful I guess because I know Graham Arnold was a famous Socceroo then too and just finished playing and Robbie Slater was in the team and there was an array of Socceroos Robbie Ennis Uh, so I thought I'd go out and I'll never forget after 45 minutes into the session he just looked at me and said you're coming back here you're coming back to training as well we were allocated players at the time I think at the time I had Robbie Slater as one of my players I was cleaning his undies and boots every day and (laughs) but to be fair Robbie Slater comes across um, Bulldog comes across as this real arrogant you know uh, bloke that not not many people like, but um, he's he's one of the most compassionate and, and kind guys when mm. you get to know him. Yep. He's just got white line fever, and every Christmas I, I can promise you he looked after me because he had sponsors galore, and I used to go home with boxes and and bags of feeler and capper gear from all these sponsorships. <laughs> so I was working for Just Jeans, yep, part time. Then went into full time, so I could manage my hours with 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 uh, playing in the in the summer league back in Sydney. And I got a phone call from from Adelaide Olympic. I'm not going to say who it was. Um, but um, they said, look, would you be interested in coming to Adelaide Olympic? Robbie Detroit was coaching the team at the time. We'd love to We'd love to meet with you tonight. This is at 12 o'clock on a Monday. We'd love to meet with you tonight. We're going to put you on a plane at 3 o'clock in three hours. Can you get to the airport at 3 o'clock? We'll have someone pick you up in Adelaide at 5, at five o'clock and take you straight to Ferriton Park, which is now Ferriton Park, which I know, to come for training and just meet the guys and see if you're interested in signing for us. From there, you decided to get into coaching? Yeah, very quickly after. And I'd had, a, had an injury at Campbelltown, which pretty much, you know, um, I, I'd done my knee, had a knee reconstruction, and, and I really found it hard to get back to, to playing at the level I wanted to. I spent yeah. a year at Adelaide Comets, who were in the second division. Uh, I, I played under Barney Smith, who's, you know, like one of my best mates, my best mate. So that was quite interesting. But um, it was good to have a year there to get, to get myself back in some capacity. But... Um, I was never going to reach the heights of, you know, I was, yeah. I was 30 at the time or, or 29 or 30 or something at the time. And I thought, this is the time I want to get into coaching. Um, it's, it's pretty early. It is. But ever since Graham Arnold coached me, I, and it's a true story, I had a black book from when I was, and I used to write stuff that Arnie, some of the drills and sessions he put together and I, the stuff I liked and the stuff I didn't like. And then when I went to Holland to go to Eagles, I did the same thing and because uh, he played in Holland for a long time. So I was trying to match him up. So I started writing down all these drills with a pen in this book, my little black book of all the stuff that I like doing and how I can incorporate that to when I coach one day and in my okay. philosophy and methodology. So I started at a real young age actually starting to think, you know, Ooh, I, might, I might become a coach. I think I'll be a better coach than I am player. I mean, people can say what they want about it, but... You know, ten years after, ten mm. years down the track now. I mean, 
I guess my coaching career has been okay. It's been eventful. Yep. But yeah, after that year at Comets, I went to Parry Hills and, and took over the club when they got relegated. And my first year of coaching, uh, we got promoted. We won the we won the league, got promoted, and I got the club to a Federation Cup final, which is like the FFA Cup final equivalent right now, yep. which we just seen Adelaide City beat Modbury in. And the same same scenario, Adelaide City with a the big wigs in the, in the top league, which they are right now, and 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 Modbury were the big wigs in the second division, which yep. they are right now. We Metro at that stage were the big wigs, and 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 they were in the grand final of the cup, and and we were the big wigs of the second division. We'd beaten some teams along the way: Blue Eagles and Adelaide City, Damian Morris, Adelaide City, with Ricardo de Silva, Nick Budin, Nicky yep. Orr, Joel Allwright. You know, as a second Massive division names. club, yeah, as a second division club, we we got through to the grand final. This is all in my first year of coaching, and we lost the cup final three one. Um, but it was a fantastic achievement. I think I just um, put the writing on the wall then that I that I might be able to make something out of this coaching caper. And then um, the following year, you went to the women's NTC. So you you're at women's um, football now, but you, that's where your first um, experience in women's football came. What was that like to, to go from men's football to, to women's? Well, it was three, I spent three great years, three or four great years at Parry Hills, but I just knew it was time for me to go on. You know, I mean, as a coach, if you, you've got to be honest with yourself and do the right thing by yeah. the club. And I'd, I'd, I'd felt like, you know, the boys, the boys at that time at Parry Hills needed a different voice. And Ross Aloisi at the time was here in the state still, and he was running the women's program. And um, he, he was... I was speaking to him at licenses and he's saying, look, you've got to get involved, Kat, in, in the women's game. We need coaches like you. I think you'd enjoy it. And I'd seen Paul Pezos had, had started to move over there as well. Um, so, you know, I had an opportunity to go and work with the program. This is when Ayrton Andrioli was the technical director. So I finished up at Parra Hills and I was going to take a bit of a break. Um, but, you know, a month or two later, I found myself um, mm. helping out with the NTC program. Chelsea Daubers, Emily Condens, Mallory Mullins, really good good mix. And a lot of the girls that are playing now in the local league are really yeah, wow. one of, probably one of the best groups of, of female footballers that have come through yep. this generation. That's probably credit to Ross and definitely to Pez, um, who, who had that group. You know, and, and, and um, you sort of took that program, program over for about six or seven months. And from that came an opportunity to be an assistant coach in the uh, in the W League with the Adelaide United team, um, the Adelaide United experience would have been a big one for you yep. to be a part of the women's league back then. Um, what was that like to be a part of now in a professional outfit? Yep. I know the women's game is it's still at that point was still a little while away from yep. where it is now. But where um, what was that like to to be? Oh, it was great. Look, they, look, they Ross had moved on to bigger and better things. He was the head coach, and 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 so had so had Pez, and. Um, they brought in Jamie Harnwell, the federation who used to run yeah. the, the W League, the Lady Reds as they'll call it. And, and and Jamie's a big name in the old NSL and, and some of the A League as well and, and, and was starting his coaching caper. Just finished coaching Perth Glory. So he came in and he seen me. I didn't know Jamie apart from playing against him in the old NSL, you yeah. know. Um, I just knew he was a legend over in Perth. And he goes, Look, he goes, Cat, you're you know, you're looking after the NTC program. There's this, you know, alignment with with the NTC and that do you want to come on board and you know, let's get to know each other and be an assistant coach. And I'm like, well, I'm going to take this opportunity. Yeah. And and from there, I just grew and had a great season with Jamie. And, you know, we became good mates and got to learn a lot about what it was, women's football at, at a professional level, mm. um, because we had a few imports coming in. And um, so I really enjoyed it for one year, but then I just needed a break. Um, and Jamie moved on after one or two years, went back to Perth and they brought in Huskin Derevic. Yep. Hustler came in and out of the blue asked me to come back in. Um, because I knew the girls and I knew the program and, 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 and the second season was really good. It opened up a lot of doors. And I also saw you move into the LA United youth team as well yeah. as coach. What was that like? I was coaching the um, 
I think they're the under 18s or I think they play in the yeah, reserves yeah. competition in, in, in the local league. So I coached them for six or seven games and look, by, by Huss bringing me back in to um, help with the women's, there was an mm. opportunity to take that team. And Huss said to me, because I didn't know many of the boys at that stage, he goes, you've got a good group coming out of Carl Veard's NTC program yep. that are coming in. And I'm looking and going, oh, okay, yeah, there could be a good opportunity. It's Adelaide United still. And, you know, it's, yep. just, it's you know, it's, it's, it's the big boys, you mm. know, big boys, big girls club, uh, Adelaide United. I want to stay involved. So I had this team and I had Gullia Moore, Guillermo Sun was in yeah. my team and uh, Jai King and, and, and Pacific was in the team. And I've, I've started training going, oh gosh, they, this is a good group. Yeah. And I, uh, from from that program, I mean, um, I got the opportunity to go coach a team through the previous owners in Spain at the at the MIC tournament, the Mediterranean International Cup, and that was in Barcelona. And that's soon where I fell in love with with Barcelona. I got on the phone to my wife when I was fortunate enough by the previous owners to be to be coaching one of the under sixteen academy teams. I said, I said to Nadine, I said, we want to go on an adventure the next couple of years. Barcelona is amazing. Yeah. So um, that tournament finished, and unfortunately, Adelaide United moved me on, which <coughs> happens as a coach. Yeah. Like I said to you, either sack, you get sacked, or you you, you resign. There's no red carpet out as a coach. You don't yep. get you know you don't get this. Oh, you know all these. Uh, you know you're the best. All this type of blah blah blah. You either get you either get moved on, or you move on yourself. There's yep. no there's no in between as a coach. But it was a great experience. Um, six months later, I took Nadine back, my wife, to, to Barcelona. and said. You know, this is you know we planned to go for a little trip on ourselves, uh, and and she loved the city too. So we planned yeah. there for about eighteen months to two years um, to find schools for for our, for, for our son, um, and I, I really wanted an opportunity to just see what it was like coaching in Europe. So that, it all started back there from the Adelaide United opportunity. Yeah. So what did um because Guillermo Amor was there at Adelaide United, Barcelona legend. Um, yeah. he was there around the time you were at the club. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and you coached his son. Yep. So. Did he have any influence in you going there or was it just a... Absolutely. He had no influence. I think it was the city of Barcelona I fell in love with. I fell in love with the lifestyle after a couple of weeks of coaching there. I fell in love with the city. It's just, it's one of those things. um, And and at that stage, I mean, it still is the football mecca. Yeah. And, and, you know... Guillermo as the, as the head coach. I mean, he used to come and watch every morning. This 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 guy's a bar and being living in Barcelona now, knowing yeah. how big he is, we, we you don't understand. People in South Australia or Australia don't realise how big he is until you experience yeah. when you mention his name over there. But he'd be at the parks uh, on the backfield watching his son train at seven thirty in the morning while I was coaching him. So I've got you know a Barcelona legend, head coach of Adelaide, and watching his son under me yeah you know on the backfields and <laughs> the dog at angle park dog track in the background and i'm just thinking to myself gosh this guy you know like how you know i'm really nervous watching the senior coach but he, he didn't say much to me but he always came over and said you know like he always gave me uh, a few words like a good session or you know he was happy with uh, the way i was coaching the boys but he would he wouldn't make it uh, obvious yeah come and just do it very discreetly which is which is very guillermo um and that obviously gives you a bit of a boost too so um you know, uh, it, it was a really good experience. And over there, you did end up finding a job after a little while at the um, coaching the under 18s team at Captiva Sports Academy. Yeah, so so when that finished and, and we'd planned to move overseas, um, I wanted to challenge myself. It's been it was pretty easy for the last yeah. ten years, fifteen years playing and coaching here in Adelaide. So an Australian guy, an Australian boy trying to go coach in Spain mm. is like a Spanish coach coming here and trying to coach <laughs> AFL. It yeah. really, I, I can't use any other analogy than that. Um, I got laughed at, you know, I got, you know, they, they took the absolute piss out of me, which, you know, like, who are you? What are you doing? Oh yeah. Soccer kangaroo and all this type of, you know, like it was, it was really tough, but I knew it was going to be tough. I, I mentally prepared myself that it was going to be not easy to find work. 
And I just had someone come across my resume um, at an academy and, and they rang me. And it was an academy that just by absolute sheer coincidence was in the same province that I was living in in, in, in Barcelona called San Cugat. Um, and he and he sent me an email back saying, can you come in for an interview down into the city to our offices? We'd like to just talk about your resume. And Ruben, Cubby, Ruben Martinez, who was the technical director, called me in and he spoke a bit of English, which was really good because it's an English-speaking academy. Yeah. He called me in and he goes, I've seen your resume and you coached Adelaide United. You know Guillermo? And I said, well, Guillermo was the senior coach. I didn't really have much interaction with him, but his son was in my team. And he goes, oh, I played with him at Barcelona. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it just started like that conversation. Like I, I didn't use Guillermo's name or anything. Yep. Nothing like that. I would never because it's... It, it wouldn't be right because I didn't know Guillermo that well. I just had his son in my team and, you know, Gulli was a very good, you know, he's a very good player. But he, he just went on a hunch. He goes, I'm going on a hunch here. I, I like what I see in your resume. Then we started speaking football and methodology and all this. And he goes, we align with how the principles of this academy is yeah. going to work. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to come in and be an assistant coach. And I got my foot in the door. He goes, we can only pay you 200 euros a month, which is about $300 a month. Yep. Cash cash Jeez. to come in and be an assistant coach at this full-time academy and the wages over there are terrible yeah which i soon found out so 200 euros a month and i'm like i'm gonna take i said to nadine i said to my wife i'm gonna take this opportunity like we'd already set ourselves up financially yeah. enough to be over there and knew that it was going to take a bit of time but see so yeah, i'm going to take this opportunity for sure and no word of a lie the very first session we've gone in for a uh, for a methodology training and it's in catalan and it's in spanish and this is three months after me being there and getting yeah. a lot of knocks you know like rejections and all this and he's and in english as well because the co everyone it was an english-speaking academy um we finished this methodology session and, and i'm getting to know that the other four or five coaches and i'm walking back to my car and the coach that i was going to be assistant to says i can't do this to me because i can't do this i still play in the in the in the local like the catalan league which is like the npl because i can't do this it's too much commitments and I said, well, you know, I'm here to help you. It's okay. You know, I, I, I live close and I can help with the sessions if you can't be here. I understand yeah. how, how the sessions are going to be and all that. He's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then the, the next thing I know, that, that afternoon, I've got a phone call saying the coaches, the coaches walked, not even after starting the job. <laughs> he says, it's too much. And he goes, we're left in a position where we've got no coach, Simon. So he called me into the residence where the players all started rocking up from all over the world. Yeah. And I remember going into one of the rooms with him and he said, well, how would you feel about taking over the senior role uh, instead of being an assistant coach? Obviously, we'll give you a proper salary now and, and you know, I hadn't even started the job yet. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's a, I said, Ruben, for sure, I'll take this opportunity. So um, so there I went and took over, like it was just whirlwind. So I've taken over this team that, that all these players were coming from all over the world that had trialed and, 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 and sent their applicants and, and, and resumes through. So they've picked this team of under 18s. The academy had two teams. Yep under-18s and under-16s, and I got the under-18s team. So they started arriving from Mexico and Brazil and India and Thailand, and my captain, who's from Ukraine, amazing wow. player, um, they all started arriving in because they live in the residence, like like the Australian Institute of Sport, brand-new residence, cafeteria, football, like the ovals there, you know, not a psychologist, nutritionist, the whole lot. And um, so I've just started to get to know the players straight away. Um, and after one or two weeks, you know, we st you know, we're training, you know, full time and the boys are getting to know each other too. And when I'm on the training field 
we're doing a Wednesday night session and I'm doing a game training session, which means I'm actually preparing for our first game. Yeah. So I started doing like a session, so a tactical session. And we had half a field each. The under 18s had half a field and the under 16s, the cadets had a had a field half a field each. So I was doing a, I was doing a game training exercise, how we're gonna set up and you know, within how the technical director wanted it. And after the session, this was the this is the thing that just got me like my shoulders out straight away. He called the coaches in, like the boys had gone inside to have a shower and gone to up to the residence in the cafeteria to eat with the chef. And he goes, Don't worry about videotaping the the warm up sessions. You need to videotape Simon's tactical sessions this is what i want to see this is what we need to be putting on social media this is what we need to be putting on youtube channel so you can imagine me yeah i'm this australian coach on a wednesday night he's there standing there watching like this um so my shoulders grew and i'm like wow if i'm doing this against these coaches and he's enjoying my work well obviously as a player too you, yeah. you coach with confidence so just from there it grew and um, i grew a lot as myself having this this um technical director that was Starting, just come in and help us out because we love the numbers and we'll give you 200 bucks to a proper contract and a proper salary. Um, you know, it was just a, it was just a whirlwind experience mm. over four or five weeks. And, and, and just on the salaries too, just, just so people know, like I was working full time. I was working six and a half days a week. I was loving my work and my salary was 18,500 euros. So salary. that's about 30,000 Australian dollars. Yeah. Right. Obviously the cost of living is a lot different over there, yeah, but lot, lot. you know, it's relevant to where you're living as well. If you live in a nice area, it's more expensive and we mm. chose to live in a nice area. So all these, all these, um, stigmas people think I'm going to go coach in Europe and make a million dollars It's or, you know, or, or set up yourself it doesn't always work like that I knew it was yeah. not going to be well that's pretty much the equivalent to what someone would get as a part time a part time pa- gig well, here yeah. probably in coaches LA. get more than a coaching NPL yeah. as part time right but but the opportunity was there, and you know, yeah, we had some perks. Like I had all the gear, and I had food. Like you know, in the res, like you, you know, you, you live there most. You know, and, and the analysis sessions and things like that. But um, you know, he was there for three months, Ruben, the technical director. And then after three months, he called us all in, and he goes, "Listen, I'm just letting you know. I'm letting you know before I let the players know, because everyone loved him. He was a really likable guy." Because I'm moving on. And I'm like, oh crap, you know, just as I'm getting to know, like, there was no problem with my contracts. My team had started the competition, but I'd real, built this real good rapport with him. And he goes, I'm just letting you know, I'm moving on. This is Tuesday night, yeah. Tuesday morning. I'm moving on. Uh, one of my, you know, he was part of a coaching group that had coached at Red Bull Salzburg, Watford, um, Wolverhampton, oh, wow. yeah. all these clubs. He goes, we're moving to Celta Vigo. This is in, in La Liga. Yeah. So Tuesday, he's saying his goodbyes to us and, you know, I'm moving on with, you know, head coach. Um, that was the Tuesday night. Just by sheer coincidence, his first game was at the Camp New that Saturday, three days later against Barcelona. Oh, wow. So my technical director <laughs> had gone from, um, you know, from, from, from this international full-time academy residence to coaching at the Camp New. Yeah. Three days, Saturday night. You know, I remember, forget it, Saturday night, and they, they lost their first game. Like the coach of Celt, the previous coach had got sacked, so new coach comes in. They lost 4-0. You know, Messi scored a couple, but it's, full, it's funny how football works and, yeah. and, and the networks you make. You know? <clears throat> Do you all went down and watched? Well, I had a game that night. Oh, you could not Yeah. My games sometimes are at nine o'clock at night just with, with European lifestyle and things like that. So we yeah. couldn't watch. But I think some of the under-16s had an earlier game and they, you know, Ruben Sorter met with some tickets and they were at the Camp New. But it was like 10 kilometers from where we lived. It was very close. So And that's unreal. Um, yeah. But that period you were there was around 2019 when you first got uh, yeah. the job there. And that's when life changed for everyone in the world. With pandemic coming in, what was that like for you to experience that in Spain? Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. And it, it left a lot of scars for my family. That's for sure. Um, scars that we're still probably recovering from. You know, 
we were living the life. We were living the lifestyle. My son's learned a new language. He's loving his football. Yeah. You know, he's living and breathing because he's a little footballer as well. And my wife's working and we're enjoying our lifestyle. We had the most, the best experience with our lifestyle. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we could see this virus start moving out of China and through Europe. And we could actually look at the map. I'll never forget looking at the map, spreading through Europe, through Italy, down across into parts of France and then into Catalonia, you know, parts of... Mm. Um, not parts of Spain, depending on who you speak to, Catalonia, <laughs> but parts of yeah, of, of that part of uh, Europe, and it started coming through, and everyone was in denial. I'll never yeah. forget. Everyone was in denial. Um, oh, it's okay. It's going to be nothing. But but then one Wednesday night, we had our final training session, and it was it was a beautiful night. Beautiful night. Wednesday night, the S and C coach was training him up. We having a good session, and then we took we went to bed. That was Wednesday night. We finished about eight o'clock at night. Then we had a session at seven thirty the next morning. Yeah, so we we trained a lot. We you know it was a good good little system uh, and program we had. And the next morning we started setting up the training session. It was a Thursday morning. We started setting up, and then our phone rang, and it was the owner of the academy saying, "Get every kid off the field, put them in the residence, and lock it down. They're not to go anywhere," Jeez. because we'd received overnight notification that Spain were going to close its borders. Um, and when I say close the borders, I mean, you can't, if you're not out of the country by midnight, you need an exemption to leave the country in the next three, three days. So we locked down, we locked the boys down, canceled the training session. They all were in the residence and all their parents are starting to call. And, and this is at eight o'clock in the seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. By 12 o'clock that day, there were kids already on planes back home to their countries, Mexico, Brazil, uh, Germany, Ukraine. Their parents had just got them out on whatever planes, whatever means to get them out of the country because they could see that it was going into lockdown. They could see what the virus was, you know, the virus was doing in China and parts of Italy. So it was an absolutely scary, scary time because the kids were scared. Um, they didn't know what's going on. Their parents are scared because they're all over the country saying that Spain's locking the borders. It's a hard lockdown. If you're stuck here, you're not going anywhere. And for the next two or three days, us coaches just did shifts and shifts of getting players to the airport it was like an absolute war zone. So we had a couple of um, company vans, which were 10 or 12 seaters, and we're driving them at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning. We're doing rotating shifts just to help get these kids out, dropping Jeez. the kids. My shift, I did a Saturday morning, 4.30 a.m., I'll never forget. Got the kids to the airport. There was, a, there was some Mexicans and Americans and, and got them out of the country wow. so they could, yeah. It was a scary time when it first started, that's for sure. So when that, you're focusing on these kids, obviously they don't have their parents there, so they, you're kind of like a father figure. Yeah, we are, absolutely. We see them every day, you, you, you know, you they're training in the morning, they're going to school or um, they're going to school and they're training in the afternoons yeah. or evenings plus video analysis. So you see them all day around the residence and when they come back from school, absolutely they are. Yeah. And you build a bit of relationship with their parents as well through uh, through WhatsApp. That's, their, that's how yeah. everyone talks over there on WhatsApp. So, you know, um, but just professionally enough that, you know, the, the parents can trust you as the coach because our games used to be streamed live so you could watch our games yep. so the parents could see what was going on and all this type of thing. Making sure your kids are being looked after, but yeah, it did get it did get scary. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very a very tough time. You're looking after these kids, yeah. um, but you're worrying about these kids from all these families around the um, around the world. But your families are home. What was it like? To, did you have enough time to look after them, or even think about coming home to your the rest of your family? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, um, my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, had came out come over with his children for a trip the week before the lockdown. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was planned for him to come. We had family and friends for the couple of years come visit and stay with us. Yeah. Barney, Barney Smith, the Adelaide Commons coach, came over for a couple of weeks too. So he got to experience firsthand what it was yeah. like in the Catalan uh, football and, and in Barcelona. But um, 
he'd come over for this once in a lifetime trip with his kids and found himself in lockdown after four days. So he had to, he couldn't go anywhere for until his plane left. So he had an exemption to leave in in the second in the first week of lockdown. But um yeah, you know, a once in a lifetime trip for him it turned into a bit of a catastrophe. He could only just stay home and hang with us. But yeah, we we, we had ourselves, we had our neighbours, we had our friends, but uh, you know, Australia's seen lockdowns in especially in Sydney and in Melbourne, and yeah, they were harsh. But and I really mean that. I know they were harsh, but uh, the lockdown we went through was something out of the ordinary. Like it was a it was apocalyptic. Like the grass was grown over in in the parks. There was drones flying over to make sure no one was leaving their houses. Uh, you have the military on the streets with microphones, stay inside, and stuff you see in those in those in those ap- apocalyptic movies. To go to the shop, there's only one person from the house was allowed to go out. Um, you know, so and it was at a certain time of day. Like oldies could go from nine till ten, and then you, you know, uh, it, it was it was very very regimented, but very strict uh, for the first three or four months of the the lockdown. And and we found that when they started to try open up a little bit, it started to become a little bit warmer in, in Europe. And some of the horrific stories we've seen and heard about a lot of old people being left for dead because they weren't looked after and they'd go back to nursing homes Jeez. and just find mass bodies of, you know, like because they, they died, died from the virus or, you know, because people were too scared to leave their house and they just, it just went into lockdown. Um, all of the wages got frozen in Spain. So everyone's wage, even the, the, the Barcelona players, their wages got frozen and, and looked after by the government. They were paying a certain amount to everyone um, because, because of, because of the, um, pandemic so it was just a really scary time we found ourselves uh, exercising in our garage to keep sane <clears throat> yeah exercising in our garage um just trying to keep a routine but you know you're waking up every day and it's it's kind of groundhog day and, and after seven or eight months of it I mean, you'd take a couple of years at least for it to get better again seven or eight months into the lockdown my wife and i just said you know what i think we need to just reevaluate yeah our own health my son at the time was 11 years old and you know he was homeschooling with his school in Spain it wasn't healthy and you know and uh we just needed to look at the bigger picture it was just unfortunate that the that the pandemic hit at the time it did we got a couple of good years in but um we decided it was time to come time to come home and uh we made that agonizing decision to 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 pack up and leave after probably 10 or probably after about a year of the pandemic yeah how long was it uh, was it started to get back to normal back then in Spain, or was no, it still no, a while away? No, it was it was still in lockdown. The last yeah. Christmas we had was it was it was we moved into an Airbnb in a place called Cubayes, which is just a, a little province on the water for the last six weeks before we could get a plane out. And if people remember, Australia were only letting in a certain amount of people, so tickets to get into the country were very scarce, and there was priorities and and uh, you know a limitation on people. Like, when the flight we ended up getting on had seventy two people on it from yeah. from Spain to Doha, from Barcelona to Doha, Doha to Adelaide, seventy two people in a four hundred. <clears throat> yeah, you know, so I mean, it was just the amount of people the government letting in, and then you're doing the quarantine. But um, our last Christmas, we we went to the, we were in a beautiful spot, but it was just everything was closed. But the restaurants started to open up for, for Christmas lunch, so we went Jeez. to this beautiful little restaurant. Yeah. The restaurant was open from twelve o'clock to three o'clock. We sat. We had to sit outside. It was cold, but it was a beautiful, crystal clear day. But we sat outside. So there's probably 70, 80 people in this restaurant all sitting outside, social distancing. And then at three o'clock, they got to shut up, and everything just went blank again. You couldn't leave your home. Jeez. So you go out for this summer for your, for your Christmas lunch. You feel, and it just made me feel so alone, knowing, you know, how tough it was. Not just for us because we were preparing to come back home, but 
this restaurant's opening up for three hours. We have it. We had our lunch just to get out. Yep. And then you know we had a great lunch and that. But then you've got to sort of take your Christmas party back home. And the Christmas party you have back home is in an Airbnb. Yeah, you're on the water, but you've got no family, you've got no friends. You feel very isolated. Um, as much social media and Instagram and all that mm. you can do and try to keep people thinking that you're in a good space. It was it was a really really dark time that you know we're probably still coming back from um, because it does have a big effect and it's not just us I'm, I'm, I'm it, it's for everyone but um, over that period of time in that lockdown and I, the last couple of months when we decided to come home I started what am I going to do football wise yep and I turned a lot of heads in the world game and a lot of people were calling me wanting interviews before the lockdown so I knew I'd sort of started creating a bit of a profile um, but we, we needed to come back to Adelaide and we needed to, to, to get the family set up and I always wanted to get back into the women's game and I could see that uh, you know, like I was a bit burnt from from the from the men's game, from my previous experiences. So I needed a different avenue. And and Salisbury Inter, I knew the president, and she was so so uh, keen to get me to the club. So I started doing my research, and and Fridays at one o'clock in in Barcelona was like eight o'clock Friday night. So I started watching on the YouTube channel all of the WMPL games. Yeah, and I was looking around, I'm thinking, oh geez, Salisbury Inter got a good team, and. Um, you know, that Emily Condon, like the team that I've got now pretty much, or, or, or a lot of the youngsters yeah. that have come through, but I thought they just needed, uh, their, coach was mo- their coach was moving on too um, and uh, the opportunity just arose and I thought, you know, I'm going to take it up and, you know, the Women's World Cup's around the corner. I yep. think it's a good time if I'm going to go back home to get back into the women's game and I inherited a, a good team, a team that finished second for a couple of years or, or third. I just knew they, uh, in my opinion, with all due respect to the previous coaches, they probably just... Just need that little bit more that I think I thought I, well, I knew I could provide to get them over the line to win their first trophy. And the squad I inherited, yes, it was a very good squad, but it doesn't guarantee you trophies. Um, I brought in one or two players from the team it has, and, and and last year we were fortunate enough to to win every trophy there is available in the women's game. Yeah, what was that like to to coach in the women's game? Because we know it's a little bit of a difference between men and the women's game in uh, obviously with funding and also. Um, the, the resources they have. Yep. What was it like? Did you find it a bit of a struggle or was it? It's, a, it's always going to be a struggle, unfortunately. It is. But you know what? Footballers are footballers. And, um, and, 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 and my girls especially will tell you, we just want to be, they want to be treated as footballers. So they want honesty. They want transparency. Don't treat us as we're, we're not equal to, to, to a male footballer. And, and I knew that anyway from, from working in the W League with some of the American girls that came over and the local yep. girls. So, um, you know, I went in there with, with, um, very open-minded that that I could do good things with the team. Yeah. Uh, and doing my research for a couple of months in lockdown, I, I, just, I knew what I needed to get this club over the line. They never won a major trophy, and they were a club, or they are a club that that's on the uprise to to wanting to to be successful and be a bit of a powerhouse at at, at you know at this time. So um, you know, we took the opportunity up, and we won the the first thing we won was the 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 cup final against Metro. I think three one. In the middle of last year, and even that was a real, real challenge. You know, Metro, a really strong club, really coached well last year, and the club were really happy just with that. They said yep. to me that night, "Let's party. That's it. We don't. If you win the league, great." And I said, "Well, to the club, with all due respect, we've got a team. I, I know what you say. You've got the chip off your shoulder, and you, we've got the first trophy for the club. But I said we've got a team that can really, you know, push to win more stuff this year. So, you know, we, we just 
realign the goals for the club, not the girls. The girls were pretty focused. They knew they wanted to win everything last year. Um, but I just said, look, you know, the club, you need to expect a bit more than just one trophy. So we really pushed hard and we made some sacrifices as a club, as a coaching group, and, and yep. most importantly, as the players. And we pushed forward. We won the minor premiership and, and uh, you know, we and, and we won the grand final uh, too last year. So we, we won the treble and started this year by winning the preseason cup. So all the four trophies within a... 18-month space yeah. that are on offer in the in the women's league, the club have got a hold of or, or have won. So, that, you know, and it's tough to stay at the top, but yeah. yeah, it was good. The women's game is pretty lucky as well because with the men's game, you get some really good players that have played in the local, um, national leagues, in the A-League, or played overseas and they come here to finish off their career. But you get a lot of the um, players in their peak, like... You were coaching um, Chilean international with uh, Cote as well. Yeah, yeah. So Cote Rojas was at the club for a couple of years before she's moved on to to, to other scenarios that we knew were going to happen. Yeah. Um, it probably wasn't the the way we planned it would happen, but look, that's football. She's she's moved on to to greener pastures for herself, and look, she's got to take every opportunity. She's thirty five, so yeah. I understand that. Um, but yeah, she's she's one of many many good players that mm. experienced players. I look at my team, even just. If I talk about my team this year, I've got Nicole Calder, who, in my opinion, can do a job at the W League level. Chantel Ryder, who's just gone down with an injury, has played at the W League level. Um, I lost, and, and, and the players last year that I lost or moved on were, were all at that kind of level yeah. of experience and, and um, that, that, that kind of will to, to really accomplish something and, and drive the younger players on. It's, um, uh, it's fantastic to see that there's these big names coming back into the WNPL, which yeah. helps uh, improve the younger girls as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Um, as we can see, last year we had a strong squad. West Adelaide had a very strong squad. NTC always has the, the creme de la creme of the young players in a full-time program. They're always going to be strong. Adelaide City is strong. They've got some really good players. Um, so yeah, it does help when they do come back. Uh, there is a bit of a there is a bit of a, a a gap with you know probably the top four or five to the bottom. But as yep. recently as you can see, my team lost on the weekend to to West Torrens Bacala, three two. It was probably a nothing game in regards to to my team finishing on the ladder. But West Torrens Bacala had to beat us. Yep. and they came out with the right attitude and beat us. And you know we're not happy about it. But the gap is the gap the gap is closing, and some of the teams that are down the bottom are improving and, and the clubs are getting better at their recruitment and coaching and development of their players. So good on them. You're, you're, so now you're in the women's game, but you've coached a lot in when your early days with the men's game. Yep. Um, obviously, you played in men's football as well. So is there any... Um, if Do you want to go back into that avenue or is women's football where you want to... Oh, look, to stay? it's one year at a time. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy where I am right now. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're just about to embark on a final series. So let, let's see how we go there. Um, what the future holds, I don't know. Coaching for me is coaching men or women. I'm a professional coach yep. in a semi-professional environment, you know, um, at, at this stage. But, you know, obviously coaching in Adelaide before and, and, and overseas, I know what it takes to be in a professional environment. But um, maybe one day I'll get back into it. Maybe, but maybe one day I'm, I'm, I might be happy just to sit upstairs in a boardroom and look at running a club too. And uh, that's something that really does interest me. And uh, I've got all these ideas on how I, I can see a club run. and yeah. Uh, how I want a club to be run. So I think that's something that really interests me in the next couple of years, or maybe getting involved, getting involved, uh, getting involved with the powers that be at the federation. And you know, yep. I, I really think they need some ex players in there to yeah. to to 
probably stamps some authority on, on on some direction on on how the competitions, especially the women's competition, I think, can, can yeah. maybe move forward and and be an even more attractive product. Is this for the local federations or the national? No, not the football local federations. Yeah. If, if I'm going to stay here, I, I mean, I love South Australia. I love Adelaide. And why not grow such a? I mean, our MPO at the moment for, for men's especially is such a strong competition. Yep. It's got fantastic coaches. It's got really good players, um, and I think the structure of it is really well. It'd be great to see that um, roll over to the women's. Yep. It's always going to be a work in progress because of funding, but I think the women's World Cup are coming here is going to really grow the women's game in the next couple of years, and we're going to get some get a yep. lot of wins. So um, we'll see what the future holds. Yeah, and uh, you obviously you had that academy experience over over in uh, Spain. Yep. But now you're kind of still got that junior coaching experience with the uh, Blackfriars. You do the inter uh, played in the um, the first eleven soccer. Yeah. Which is in college football. I didn't realize how big it was here in South Australia. Yeah. But you coach Blackfriars. Um, what's that been like to to get back to coaching juniors again? Oh look. Um, it's about as young as I'd like to coach as the yep. 16, 17, 18 year old uh, category of, of ages. Um, I can't see myself being any younger than that. Yep. I just think um, there's better coaches out there than me for that, to be honest with you. That's being <laughs> That's fair. totally, yeah, it's being totally honest, but it's been fantastic. I mean, I didn't know much about the collegiate uh, and, and, and the colleges and private schools and how their football programs work until this mm. year. Um, they put a lot of money into their sports programs, a lot of the private schools. And um, as we've seen last week, we played our, our Intercol, which is our match against uh, being at Blackfriars against against Christian Brothers College. So it was Catanzaro versus Karuska. And yeah. it, was, it, was, it was good off the bench. You know, we're two, two well-respected people, I guess, in the local league. And, and Marcello coaches my son in his academy. So um, it was a good game and, um, you know, good crowd, good atmosphere. I know you it called was. it. Um, you know, so you could see the pride these boys have in playing that one-off mm. game against some of their arch arch rivals at other schools it was cool to see because um i've never been to a game i come from a public school yeah. so i had no idea what uh, college football was like yeah. or it didn't even know it was a thing and coming there and actually having that mpo experience of calling there's some mpo players actually in the it squad was, yeah it, so, well that that's credit to some of the to the mpo coaches playing yeah. some of the youngsters that that deserve an opportunity especially the the christian brothers the cbc team the college which is coached by marcello that two or three that, that played for metro stars on the on the weekend in, in the in the semi-finals so um but you know if you if yeah. i want to talk about my team which, yeah. which i care about more i mean i've got a, I had, a, had a bunch of kids that were still playing jpl and jsl some of yeah. them so they're younger but they went out and they stuck to a game plan and with a bit of luck you know winning the game that we weren't expected yeah. to, to we we're probably expected to lose seven or eight nil to be honest and we're winning one nil after 60 minutes and and an unfortunate red card changes the game you know but um it was a fantastic experience to be part of. Yeah, and it was it was good fun. And um, seeing there was one of, um, of the the Blackfriars students had a, a saxophone on the, on pitch side, yeah. so getting into it, they were chanting. Um, and even the um, couple of the boys, the CBC, were yeah. their celebrations. Um, I think one of them had a wrestler's mask yeah, as well. Yeah, I think there was a couple of celebrations, <laughs> but they, they they got pride. They got pride for it's their good. school. They got pride for their colours, and um, you know, and it, it reflected the, the way the game was played. Yeah, I love it. It's um, it's good. Is, do you reckon is a Coaching 17, 18-year-olds, uh, another future thing you would yeah, like look, to look the, into? The, like I said, that's the, that's the age I did coach um, in, in at Adelaide United, but overseas too with, with Captiva in, in the academy, mm. in, the lo- in the league I played in at that level, the under 18, under 19. It, it could be, it could be, but, it, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to do this or do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's got to be the right opportunity. And I've learned from my experiences in the past, you've got to you've got to pick that right opportunity. Otherwise, it can actually uh, yeah. shoot you in the foot. So, you know, you've got well, to be calculated with what you choose. Your career has been uh, fantastic to, to go through. I, I don't even think we've touched it everywhere because there's still a lot of um, areas we've uh, we could talk about. But 
there's only so much we can talk about in this uh, in this podcast. Oh, I've probably as well. given you enough. Hopefully, I've given you some interesting stories for some of the people that listen to the podcast from back in my playing days and yeah. my, my journey overseas. No, nah, it's fantastic. I en- really enjoyed uh, hearing the background, especially the time in uh, in Spain, which was you saw the best and the uh, the worst times over there, yeah, which yeah, is um, which is uh, great to share. But um, before I let you go, got to do the uh, the final questions. I do to every guest. Sure. The kicking the questions. I'm sure you're across this one. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so the first one is, uh, who would you love to kick with on the park? Anyone in the, in the world? Oh well, that's a, for me. It'd be Lionel Messi right yep. now. I've grown up, you know, not grown up, but I've I've watched him yep. in the last 15 years just dominate football. It'd be it'd be great to share a field with him. Well, you got to um, be in similar. Uh, I used to go watch him every yeah. second weekend, which you know most people can't say they've done. So I used to go watch him every second weekend. Yeah, just the stadium. What was it like watching him from the grandstands? It was a like really amazing to see him just right there. I've never had the opportunity to do that. Oh, but- it is amazing. But then you know what? You 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 kind of become a little bit. Um, uh, what's the word? Like you used get to used, it? To, yeah. used to it, but then you know, like Tuesday nights, I just pop down to the stadium <laughs> and watch a Champions League game, and it's <laughs> it got it got too easy, I guess. You know, like you just expect it, you know. So, but oh, it was amazing watching him firsthand. But getting to to kick it with him on the park will be amazing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and who would you love to kick it with on a Saturday night? Two people in the world, anyone? So someone locally, someone in the world. Oh, uh, look, no, I stay local. I stay local. Uh, both, obviously, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll, you know. I love time with my wife, you know, yep. we have a good time when we go out together and, um, you know, and the other probably too is, you know, my brothers in Sydney who, you know, they're, uh, they're some of my biggest fans and I'm their biggest fans as well. They, they play just local soccer, but we follow each other's journeys. I, I love having a good night out with my two younger brothers as well. Oh, keep it local, keep it family. Yeah, yeah there absolutely. you go. Why not? It's, um, love the, the family aspect of it. Yeah. Um, what about Barney Smith though? Cause I know you, uh, oh, he's my neighbor. <laughs> Is he your neighbour, is he? Yeah, we, we live a couple of doors down. You know, we, our families are very close and been very close yeah. for the last decade. So we spend enough time with each other. So, so you play with him. You've been coached by him. You, uh, He kind he, of... He's been my assistant coach as well yep. at Perry Hills and at, at Burks. He's been my assistant coach. So he linked up your, you and your wife pretty much and now you live next door to him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Andy, Andy helped me. You know, we didn't even touch on when I played at Canberra Cosmos online. He was working for Canberra Cosmos and uh, yeah. and, and got me a hotel to stay in there. There's, there's all different scenarios with, with, with Barney, so... Yeah, yeah. and yeah. He's, a, he's a really good person in the local football and very passionate about youngsters as well. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's good. And you, you need these type of people and most importantly, you need those type of coaches in the local league. Yeah. Well, I want to get you back again because I want to touch you obviously on the Canberra Cosmos and uh, your time at West Torrance because there's heaps to talk about still. Yeah. I love this. But um, thank you so much for joining me in this uh, episode and I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me and it's been great. That was the head coach of WNPL side, Salisbury Inter, Simon Cadenzari. Make sure you subscribe to Kicking It Local wherever you get your podcast so you can get a taste of the SA football community. Plus, follow at Kicking It Local SA on Instagram and Twitter so you don't miss any of the action. See you soon.